Hey guys, Diane here. I just wanted to let you know that this is just one of the projects that I'm working on this summer. There are three others. One is with my friend Mario Quesada and the week is called The Current. Everything is electricity sort of oriented, right? And it is was released either Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember because of the coronavirus. I don't remember what day it is sometimes. I hope you check it out. And then uh, by when this comes out, there will be another one with Rachel Nichols called Sparks. So I hope you guys will check it out. The last one is the one that we're going to talk about a little bit in this episode. And it is called Creatives Ignite. And it's a summer camp that I'm putting together that's coming in the month of July. You'll be able to start registering in June. And you can check it out, hopefully, uh, at creativesignite.com. I'm Diane Gibbs. I'm the host of Design Recharge. And that's where you are. I am so excited to introduce this firecracker of a human, Pim Her. Pim and I uh, automatically connected. We talk really fast. So hopefully you guys, if you're listening on your devices, you might want to slow it down to 0.75 or 0.5 because we might talk a little bit like auctioneers today. But Pim has got a lot of really, she has a heart for other people. But one of the things she really believes in talking about is self-advocacy because she doesn't want people to be um, not heard. And she also doesn't want people who have great ideas not to speak up. And this is one of the first things that we started talking about. I mean, literally, Pim could teach us so many things, but we only have an hour. So Pim is located in D.C. and she works for the Wall Street Wall Street Journal. I don't know why. Washington I'm, Post. That's Washington, okay. That's Two why. W's. That's why it's, it's okay. not the Wall Street Journal. It's another, clearly I don't read enough newspapers. Um, okay, let's start that over. No, Maybe it's I'm okay. Editing this out. The it's, Washington it's okay. Post. The Washington Post. If, if anything, to be fair, uh, to throw a curveball at Diane, I also, I forgot if I told you, I got a promotion literally just the other week. So lots of changes going on over here with different job titles. So if you want, I can just say it. And then, then that way, maybe that will help you. <laughs> okay, you tell us what you do and where you work. That would be awesome. Okay, thanks so much to Diane and everybody who's here and everyone who's listening in. I absolutely love Diane and have been a longtime fan. Um, I work at the Washington Post where I do product marketing. So I'm a senior product marketing manager and I do a lot of kind of the internal interfacing between the different teams from our product team, our news editorial team, along with our business side. So new business pitching, working with clients and our client solutions partners to figure out how to make strong partnerships happen to support the journalism that we do. I love that. For the Washington Post people, who even reads the Wall Street Journal? I'm just kidding. Okay, here we go. So what were you doing last week? What was your job? Because this was really recent, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I was doing similar work, but I was, um, um, all the titles are so long, but I was a marketing solutions manager. And so our focus was on new business pitching and writing proposals, doing um, any major, let's say like a vice president comes to me and says, I'm going to be giving a big talk. Can you help me design it, storyboard it? So it's not just a push, you know, like pixel pushing of 
I have all these slides and all these bullets. Can you make it pretty? It's more like, can you help me make this like a TED talk level kind of experience for people? How do we use animations to make it, you know, to bring our ideas to life and all that good jazz. Uh, and then prior to that, I was a senior designer at Politico. And then prior to that, I was at a small agency doing public affairs work focused on um, kind of like anything from grassroots marketing to, you know, the, the usual UI, UX, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I don't usually get that. I'm just that excited, Pim. I'm so sorry. Okay. But no, anyway. I love you and I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> You'll work for whoever, right? And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So I should know Washington D.C. Anyway, whatever, right? Okay. Usually, you know me through AIGA, if anything, right? <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely. So you have all. When we first talked, I think it was like two thousand eight. You were already an emerging designer. You were on the Emerging Designers podcast episode, right? But you were already um, really passionate and you were doing something that a lot of young designers don't do, which they got, you got involved at a, um, in AIGA at a, a leadership level. So is leadership always, I know this wasn't one of the questions, but sort of is gets a good intro in was leadership always something that you easily, you took that role on. So the answer is a, a yes and no. And the only reason is because it's some things don't come to you by choice in a way. It's just a part of who you are naturally, right? And so when I say that, my dad always took on leadership roles. So growing up, I would see him in like community engagement roles where he was helping people, whether it was tutoring or it was helping, you know, kind of do volunteer initiatives and things like that. And so I saw him lead well, and that just taught me what makes a good leader. And so many times it's about the community. It's been community oriented as opposed to egocentric, right? And so for me, I never said, I'm going to raise my hand just because I want to be the loudest in the room. I like to be quiet and listen, to be quite honest. But then one part of me, like the part that makes me kind of speak up, and, and this will touch on the theme of the, our larger conversation, Diane, is like, I don't like it when I see bad leadership bad management, bad process, bad operations. And by bad, I just mean mismanagement. I think everyone means well, but some people just have it kind of like whether it's a natural part of them where they do a lot of reading in which I do a bit of both um, to make sure, you know, like how can we make things better and, and how can we lead an entire group of people or a ship of people as opposed to, you know, whatever it may be. And so all this to say, I have a weird obsession with things like org design and, and, you know, things like that of that nature. And so because of that, I've just always been passionate about that. And so with AIGA, I was very lucky. I was giving a talk and then somebody actually came up to me afterwards and she said, Hey, like, would you consider being part of our design and um, diversity and inclusion um, task force um, for AIGA? It's at the national level, but I, I see something in you. And at the time it's actually, this is, I, I, I didn't think of telling the story, but it almost makes perfect sense. And it really does answer your question, Diane. Uh, I said to her, uh, I feel like I'm a little young and your group has very senior level people who are probably twice my age in a good way of, you know, like they, they have seen many things and, you know, like, what can I contribute? And she said, I, I, I think you'd be great. Why don't you give it a shot? And I was like, wait, what? You know, and so for me, like I was very scared and I tried and it, it was definitely one of those like audition your way in kinds of things in a good way where they're definitely 
making sure they're doing a background check on you. You're going through multiple rounds of interviews. And by the end of it, I, I got through. And um, it just was a good reminder to me of, hey, if you get this platform, what are you going to do with it? So I remember I posted something on both my Instagram and my Facebook that said, I got into this group. This group is focused on DEI work. And I'm going to make sure that I use this platform for good, that it's, I'm not going to forget, you know, the community that brought me to where I am today with like thinking about advocacy work and, and grassroots organizing and all those things, because I've always done them since I was a kid. So uh, to wrap this very convoluted answer up, I've done a lot of, um, you know, public good, public service and like um, community oriented things that are outside of design um, my whole life. And then once I got into the design world, it was a very natural fit to try to tie it all together. But it was definitely scary because it is true. Like you said, Diane, I did it when I was a lot younger than I think a lot of my peers were in the room. Um, so to go full circle, that meant I had to really learn how to speak up time and time again, even when I felt like Am I welcomed here? Is it okay mm. that I'm, you know, doing this? But I'm sure we will get into all that good stuff. But that's a, a good preview of just who I am. <laughs> so I think about this as you're having to muster this courage. And I think sometimes as actually it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, I think we all go through that imposter syndrome. But what it is is that it's um, it. there's a book by Liz Wiseman called Rookie Smart. Have you ever read that book? No, but I love its oh. name already. But it's it so it what it teaches is that really having somebody young at the table, the senior level people not necessarily young, but somebody new, new mm -hmm. to the group. Okay, it doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. I I really don't I think it's experience, right? There's experience, but sometimes somebody new has comes in with fresh ideas or they they see it in a new way. Oh, I didn't realize that's what you were doing. Oh, that's what we need. We need people to reflect what they really see us doing or what we hear. So, but it is courage because societally it is, there is, there, I think there is a too young. There is, we, we at least feel like, oh, I'm too young. Like you said, you know, I, I don't know. I think I'm probably not, but I'm so glad they sold, they saw the gold in you. And, and then there's people who think, oh, I'm too old. I can't do this. And I'm like, no, that is never, you have a voice and somebody needs, somebody needs you to stand up. So as a kid, this is another not question on the sheet of paper. Did you like stand up for bully? Like not for bullies. Oh, not that's like you're a bully, but did you stand up for people who are like, stop blank into blank? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I actually came up with a phrase for it, which will sound kind of interesting or weird, but I feel like I'm a bully of bullies. And when I, what I mean by that is even in the workplace now, if I see something where I'm like, that needs to be fixed because somebody is bullying someone, I definitely find a way. I do it a more soft approach because I don't think that, you know, like I think a society built on shame, let's say, where you're just telling someone you're bad, like that's probably not going to solve and fix behavior in the long run. So I do a lot of like, you know, like where it's like, how do, how do you kind of mitigate things and, and do change management in a way where no one even sees it sometimes because sometimes all it takes is an invisible soft approach. And then if it's needed, I will do the hard approach because sometimes you need to say, call people out, you know, like, front and center and say this is wrong or something has to give but when I was a kid I especially I, I think I was a counselor counselor you know like every group has their their kind of like different roles that come out I was always the, the counselor wherever 
<laughs> in whichever group or classroom I was in, in part because I think the bullies would feel safe, bullies would feel safe with me where they could, you know, express their frustrations. And then I could say, well, maybe you don't need to treat so-and-so that way. Like what's going on here? Because it goes back to kind of actually a lot of um, design, which is about psychology, right? Human psychology. Everyone feels the need to belong. They feel rejected. They don't know how to express themselves or how to feel welcomed. And a lot of times it's about figuring out how do we create more safe spaces? How do we be more inclusive? And it's funny because I'm using all these words that are like from the design thinking world, but it, I didn't realize that, you know, I was using all these methodologies. I was like a first grader in, you know, like the playground, just trying to fix something that was tiny, tiny there. But, you know, it's like those things matter so much. Like one, one thing that you say, one thing that you do can change someone's life forever. And so I always think of it as I have to be on the right side of history, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. And even if it makes someone not like what I have to say, but I know I'm doing or saying the right thing, then I have to do it. It's like this, like thing, like a compulsion <laughs> that I can't stop. Um, but yeah, but that, that means then you get into all sorts of other trouble, right? So you have to be willing to do like to create good troubles that I say sometimes, but I'm, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I love that. But a lot of people don't. So I think this is where some of your, your family history comes in because you, and I don't know if you want to kind of give them a little bit of background, because I think this is really applicable for what you just said. So you, they might be thinking, oh, well, I maybe stood up, but I don't think I really felt like I had to right the wrong, you know, at, you know, in first grade when Todd LaLoop was picking on somebody, right? Todd LaLoop was fine. He never picked on anybody. Anyway. Yes. Go um, ahead. Yes. So a lot of my life story, I think of it as, um, my story is just a story written on top of my parents' stories or written next to them or adjacent to theirs. And so to give you a very quick micro uh, preview of what that means, um, I am a refugee. So I'm a Hmong American refugee. I was born in Thailand, but I'm not Thai. Uh, so we are a stateless nation of people. And I know I'm throwing a lot at all of y'all, but in a nutshell, the Hmong people, we do to a deep history of um, ethnic genocide and prejudice, we've never had a piece of land to call our own. So we're a nation of people, we have our customs, we have a culture, but we don't have a piece of land where we can say, we have a government here, we can always be here. So due to that, we've always had to migrate. Um, and, and a lot of times it's been, you know, a, a sense of being unwelcomed by any government that we end up being a part of. So we're Southeast Asian now, even though we originated where China is. And why all this matters is that my dad actually had to cross over the Mekong River um, between Laos and Thailand to get to the refugee camps to seek asylum and to get citizenship for the first time in his life. At this point, he was I think in his late teen years, um, but it was a very scary experience because if you imagine he's crossing the river, not in a way where it's like a fun picnic day and everybody's in the water, he's doing it at night. Um, and if he's caught midway through, the authorities on either side could say, we don't know who you are. We consider you to be an illegal alien in our, you know, in our country. We could shoot you. We could do anything you want. We want to do with you because their policies are not the same as American policy, right? So it could be really scary. And it was a scary experience for him. But the reason why this gets wrapped up into everything that I do and why I'm inspired is because I decided, like, if this is a story of my dad and if this is how bold he was, how daring he was to get to safety, to try to do that so that he could get a better education, build a better life for himself and earn enough money to take care of his family. Like if he did all of that before he was even 20 and then he was able to meet my mom, have my siblings and me take us to America and try to build a new life. Like the last thing I can do to help build on his legacy is to, you know, always think about how can I help others? How can I 
always remain strong and do justice for all that he's done. Not in a way where I feel like, oh, it's such a burden, but in a way where it's, it's, hey, dad, you wanted this kind of freedom for me. I want to do the best that I can do in my life. I love that. Thank you. It's kind of, it's a legacy, right? You want him to know that his sacrifices meant something. Andre saying yes. Inspiring. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, so going back, so we're at a seat at the table, right? You talked about this, I don't know, four years ago, three years ago when I met you. And this was, it was just, it was very, for me, inspiring to see somebody young to be able to do this because I, I know that everybody has ideas. I tell my students all the time, I got, I think, two students here today or alumni, um, and I, I come up with a lot of ideas. They're not all good. It has nothing. I have lots of experience. Clearly, I have a lot of age, but you know, it doesn't, everything that comes out of my mouth isn't golden and I'm not expecting it to be golden, right? It's called humility, people. Nobody's Jesus here. Okay. So, um, you have, you've always, I think, even as a kid, clearly first grade, uh, you've had this ability to muster the courage and speak up or you ask for more. And even as a kid, you've been able to do this. When, what job because I think this is where we started talking. I think you were at the mm-hmm. place that starts with a P. Politico. Yep. Politico. Clearly, I'm not going to attack any of the places that you, or, or you even a, a attempt, not attack. I'm not even using the right words. We just need a restart for today. Here we go, people. My students, my alumni are like, yep, this is what a normal day in teaching with Diane's. That's like, how I sound like when I'm brainstorming. Don't worry. I get it. <laughs> Your mind but, is five minutes ahead already. That's right. So, but you, um, thank you for loving me, Pam. I appreciate it. Okay. So you were at Politico and you were at the table. Now this is the first time, or maybe the first time with these people that you're like, I got to say something. They're not seeing what I'm seeing. And my voice matters just like everybody else's voice. Right. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yes. So to paint the scene and to set the the lay of the land, I was a team of two designers on the business side of Politico. So we did anything from MVP prototyping, UX, UI work, et cetera, more for clients um, and and for kind of doing a lot of like Skunksworks projects um, to figure out like how can we apply VR to the storytelling that we're doing. And then my mom's here. She doesn't know what VR is. Okay. Uh, So like virtual reality or just anything basically our charge was to say there are all these like new media things out there, like things we don't understand. It's it's actually perfect for your mom because we we're in the same boat of we don't know. We just it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. So how can you figure that out, right? So it was a really fun team to be a part of where we could just explore and be very experimental. Um, but then there's another whole side of the business that's on the news side because um, Politico is a publisher um, for news media, and on the news side they needed to. Um, redesign their homepage experience. And so, you know, it's just the, the homepage of wherever you go, right? Like um, to say, this is the main page and it's an important page because obviously that's where the readers go to say, what is new for today? What can I, you know, dive into? And this was the first time they were doing this kind of major um, overarching update. And so they were like, we're going to hire a third party firm that does a really great job. They do, they do a great work, uh, great work, but it's basically a, a new design team on top of a design team that exists in the news side and then my team which is you know on another side so think of it like a triangle and they're like all these different people but then at the center of this triangle 
it's no one is a designer at the center. It's all the leaders from like business, from um, the journalists, et cetera, who are trying to make a decision. It's a design decision, but they've brought in this outside group of designers, even though they already have two designers on the inside and uh, or two design groups. Um, and that's with no disrespect. That was actually because they said the day to day work of all the design teams that exist already, this still needs to be done. So we need someone else who can do the thinking and have the capacity of bandwidth and time. So it was not a disbelief of, well, our designers can't handle it. It was more like we need our designers to be where they are. But what I love about this is this happens to all of us, right? Exactly. So it yeah. wasn't that, so, so, okay, because sorry, I, I know this you, is like right? a long extended. No, but I love this because this really sets the stage and I think we all can relate to what this is. Okay. So keep going. Mm -hmm. Yep. So basically our side wasn't even invited. Only the business people on our side were invited to this big meeting where basically consider like an invisible boardroom meeting with the new design team that's you know coming from the outside to do an intake call to say, what's wrong? Here are our recommendations. So I heard about this meeting somehow through the grapevine, um, but that's also an important thing. We can footnote it for another part of the conversation, which is you always want to kind of like keep your head down to hear who else is talking, what else is happening around me, even if it doesn't affect me directly, right? Because those things can impact you down the line. So um, I heard that it's, yes. So I was thinking about this, an analogy. Yeah. So it's kind of like doing therapy for somebody, but, or, or, you know, like, but they're not in the room. You know what? We're going to go ahead and fix them, but we're not, yes. we're not going to yes. invite them to the party. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Keep yep. going. So, it, so I told my creative director at the time, I said, I think we need to be part of this meeting. And he was like, oh no, not this again. Cause this is classic Tim, like a classic Tim move. And what he used to always say, and this is, lovingly i swear he said you know pim the thing with you is if they lock the doors you just knock down the walls you find a hole and you jump right through and then you just take that seat at the table and and you know sometimes that means you you technically are speaking out of turn but not really because they don't know you need they need you right it goes back to what diane was saying and so i was like yep well guess what we gotta do this and you know like you may be my creative director but i'm gonna you know string you along to me and and that's because like he was trusting the process you know he he wasn't a bad leader. It was just that he felt like, well, you know, there's this division of church and state between what we can and can't do. And I want to, you know, like not get us in trouble. And I was like, listen, sir, like our work will be impacted by this. Therefore we should be there even if just to listen. And so technically knocked down that wall by finding the PM and saying, can we like join this meeting? So then we're sitting in the middle of the room and this is the part that Diane remembers, which is there, there were intercoms that were above our heads. So you know, do you know those like giant meeting rooms where it's so big that they have intercoms? Like just, like just imagine like a college setting in an auditorium where there are all these intercoms between all the rows of seats. All these seats are taken up by like top leadership. And at that point I was maybe 25, 26 years old, senior designer by title, but still very young in, in, in age in terms of, you know, sometimes you just, you notice these things. Um, and, and so should I have spoken up? Maybe, maybe not. But as the conversation went on, I could see that like the design team that we were talking to through this intercom, like on a webcam, they were trying, they were speaking a totally different language. Anyone here would have understood because it was things like beta tests, you know, AV, blah, 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 right? Things that we understand in our universe as designers. But like, again, they were talking to all these leaders who were like the editor in chief who's caring about, you know, like how do we expand our journalism around the world, not just in America, right? Like those are her top priorities. Her top priorities are not building an MVP first, right? And so like, she's like, what are you talking about, right? And then, um, there and so then our side is like listen our top priority is to fix the footer and everyone on the screen is like the footer is that's what you care about navigation that's it you know like and so there's all this weird back and forth and finally i'm just like okay 
I got to do it. So I like look up at the intercom and just, do you mean this? And then they're like, yes, thanks. And then I like turn to the person behind me and you mean this, right? And he's like, yeah, that's what I meant. And then it's like, he means this. And so it just became this really funny game of like literal telephone where I was just like this person who was like feeding between the people. Um, but ultimately it helped. Um, and if anything was really bittersweet, that project wrapped up after I'd already left the company. So I had to watch that launch, you know, in a way where it was kind of like, I helped the baby lift off, but I never actually saw it land, you know? Um, but it was still good to know that like, if that conversation didn't go through, like it's always the beginning conversations that matter the most that influence, you know, the way a project goes. And so I knew that like, it was helpful that I was there for that. So one, you needed to be there, but two, you had to speak up. Your creative director, I'm sure was amazing, but fear was holding them back from even asking to go to the meeting because one, there were so many people, but you saw, um, you empathized with the person that was on the other, the design from on the other side of the team, you knew, or the screen, mm -hmm. you knew that they, the people in the room were confused, but they weren't willing to raise their hand and say, I don't know, right? But you could yeah. feel it. So this is where intuition comes in as designers, uh, being able to read a room, body language, all that stuff comes in. You, you could tell by the way they were answering that they didn't know that they weren't speaking. So you became this translator, which yeah. we are as designers, that's what we're doing. We're translating somebody's message into something visual and verbal, right? Or mm -hmm. whatever, written. Yeah. So I, but fear was holding the people back from raising their hand saying, I don't know, right? So this is, this is the beauty of a rookie, right? A rookie is okay to raise their hand. So one of the things in this book, and I should have probably told you about this book earlier, but I just thought about it. Um, and she says that we need to embrace the inner rookie in all of us because they are the ones with fervor and vigor and they come at the problem. These old curmudgeons are like, this is how we do it. We don't need, right? I don't know why I gave them a smoker voice, but you know what I mean. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but, but we need to be that vigor. We need to be that curious because those are the things that make a difference, Right. Yeah, so Doc's saying uh, the world needs more people like you, Pim. Oh, um, you. I co constantly have conversations with bosses that and need interpreters. Been shot down too many times to speak up. So I think that that's where it comes in, and we bring that old baggage from one company to a new baggage. And but that's I think real. the other the other thing is that you know your boss already knew. Oh, Pim, here we go again. You're like, but it matters, and so sometimes you got to be a bulldog about it, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And I, I really do believe that don't, this is where you can embrace your inner beaver people, right? And not give up and just, you, you hear that you got to do it because then you are somebody who they know, because it was about the message. You were trying to get things across. You weren't trying to be the beacon, the answer, the, you know what I mean? The whatever. Okay. No, 5,000% you know. that I, I definitely do. <laughs> okay. So to, why do you think? And, and maybe this kind of goes that we've been shot down too many times, right? Your creative director was fearful, but really are people shot down or is it just, so, is it an internal thing? I don't know for sure, to be honest. Um, I mean, I feel like Doc's not, I know Doc's not lying. We love Doc, but, um, but you know, where, well, how many times do you have to get shot down? You know, I feel like, anyway, it happens in so well, many things. My, my comment on that is I, I call it workplace PTSD. 
because yeah. a lot of times people try to ignore it or deny it. What I hate is when, when it's almost like the feeling of being gaslit in the workplace. Mm. Like, what does that I, mean for people who don't uh, know what gaslit yes. is? Um, so I'll explain it through the lens of sometimes you go through an experience and you know it happened, but then someone next to you will say, that didn't happen. Or, oh, are you sure you saw it the right way? And then they start to convince you that what you saw didn't happen. And you know, a very obvious one would be, oh, so-and-so is wearing a red shirt are you sure about that? I could have sworn it was blue, you know, like, and then next thing you know, oh yeah, it was a blue shirt. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But it's like in your head and heart, you're like, I don't know about that. Right. And so in the workplace, I think a lot of it happens with like microaggressions where it's something tiny. Like, let's say your boss says something to you, they're reviewing your work and then they say something tiny, like, um, and I'm trying to give a good example. Yeah. Wait, sorry. I'm, I'm switching from talking about, um, uh, what is it? I'm, I'm switching from talking about gaslighting to strictly talking about microaggressions. But this, this will all walk back to like internalized fear and all these other things. I promise it makes sense. But basically, you know, you experience a situation where your boss says to you like, hmm, okay. And you're like, what is that face? What does that mean? You know, like, that, that, that was okay. And then you're like, I don't know how to take that, right? And then, but then you're also usually in a position where that person has higher power and hierarchy than you, right? So all you can do is kind of say, okay, well, I, I guess I must be wrong. This person, you know, like is more senior than me, has more trust in the company than me. So I, I better, you know, judge myself back when maybe your design was just fine. Your decisions were just fine. It was just a difference of subjective opinion. Um, but like Diane and Doc are saying, like if it happens enough times, you can't help but internalize that and think maybe something is wrong with me. And this goes back to, you know, in the design industry, I think what's really hard, especially for junior designers when they're starting out is they don't know right from wrong yet. They don't have, they, they have yet to fully understand who am I in this world? Who do I want to be as a professional? Where do I want to push my path? So a perfect example of this um, is when I was a junior designer, I, I was up and kind of ready for promotion. Everyone knew I was doing too much work to have a junior title because I wasn't doing production work anymore. I was doing more like animation or interactive work or, you know, just more specific things where it became more specialized. So my mentor told me, she said, if you get a title change, make sure there's senior in it if you can, because that, oh yeah, actually at this point, I think I was already a designer. I'd been promoted from junior designer to designer, but I was waiting for a senior title. And she said, senior people will understand that means, you know, you're in a different rank rather than you're just a specialist. You can get, she's like, I don't care what kind of specialist name you get after that. I better see senior in front of that. And like, had she not said that, I'd been like, what? I just wanted to be a specialist. Cause at that point, that's what I felt like I was being, you know, like I was learning how to do all this animation, all this to say, my boss brings me into like a, like maybe in a 7.30, 8 a.m. meeting, which is already interesting in terms of meeting time. But he brings me in and he's like, Hey, you've been doing great work. And like, we want to recognize that. Like, do you want a new title change? Um, we, it can reflect that. And I was like, okay, great. I want senior in it. I want something to do with animation or interaction because that's clearly what I'm doing more of. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah. Like maybe just animation or something like that. I was like, okay, I'll think about it. Will I get paid more? He's like, no, sorry, we can't do that for you. But you know, a new title, isn't that nice? It's, it, it'll sound nice, right? And I was just like, hold on a second. You know, like I didn't know at the time, but by now I know you are underpaying me compared to other people. You know, like. I see. And the other thing is I had just seen the, like, you know how they're communal printers. I saw how much they were charging our freelance animators. And I was like, this doesn't add up how much I get paid versus that. So I, um, in this case, a 
great shiny title would have been great. It would have been great for my resume. It would have reflected the kind of work I was interested in doing, but um, it wasn't about pride. It was about respect. And it was about the fact that like, if I'm not going to be fairly compensated, I'm not going to get this new, you know, I'm not going to take this on because that's you taking advantage of me and giving right, cause more responsibility, like, right? Exactly. You have a new yeah. title. Oh, we're going to add this, but nope, we're not. You just get the shiny title, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so the thing to, to walk it full circle, at least in a little bit to the, the whole idea of like self-advocacy, I had to self-advocate for myself and my needs. And at that point I was like, this is, you know, if this is a game, this is a game where money needs to be involved. I refuse for it to just be about titles because that's not the kind of conversation I want to be in. That's not the kind of game I want to play and I'm capable of so much more. Um, and for me, it was very scary to do that because I, to be quite honest, just especially starting out, this was my first agency. I knew I was technically in no place, you know, to other people to be making these kinds of, you know, high level negotiations and pushing for these title changes. Um, and, but I did it anyway, even though I was very scared. And even though, um, to be quite honest, as a young woman of color in a majority white male, old school kind of firm, like that was very scary for me. There's a lot of unconscious bias that happens where people don't even mean to, you know, necessarily do things or say things, but they've internalized their own societal norms and they just expect you to be like, for me, they expect me to be a young, docile, quiet Asian girl. So for me to say, excuse me, you need to pay me more. That's like, you know, jumping through all sorts of walls and doors and cracking and knocking everything down and just like, kind of like, then, you know, whatever, like ruining the table or something. And, and so that was a lot for them to take on. But I'm actually really grateful for those experiences and for that boss, because he taught me in his own way how to negotiate. What, how do I build a strong argument? How do I, you know, say this is not enough for me, you know, and how do I figure out how to do that in a way where both sides don't feel hurt and where I'm still being professional and where it's, you know, he doesn't feel like there's a personal attack on him. And it's more about, hey, like, let's talk about this from a professional lens, why this is not fair. Um, but yeah, so I know so, I talked about a lot, but. <laughs> I love that. So this is why you're here. So uh, Maria says she's clapping for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Doc is like, is this something that we, I, we should fix, right? And I actually think this is something that we need to do. It's a mindset for us because it has to do with our value. I know that I've taken a title change with no money, right? And I don't think it's, I, I know lots of men who also have issues with standing, oh, okay, well, I'll just take that, right? So I don't think that, I, I do think I'm with you, that I think uh, women maybe tend to, to fit into that role and we get pushed into that role. I have never we're been definitely quiet. Not the only one. That is true, right. too. yes. We, we um, so, it's, so it is universal. I do think that there are certain times when, so I see this as a teacher. I don't know if my two uh, alumni will agree, but there are certain things that some people will do inside a class with uh, a male teacher that they uh, they will not do in my class, and I, I'm or they won't do it in his class, mm -hmm. but they will in mine. I'm like, what the heck are you doing, right? Yep. And yep. when we talk between professors, he's like, I don't ever have problems with that kid doing that, and I'm like, huh. And then, you know, it's like, yep. I know I'm short, right? No, we're, yeah, yeah. Right? But it's like, we're strong girls, right? We can, we can run fast, right? I always yeah. think if somebody's coming after me, I might not be able to beat them up, but I can get away probably, right? So I, I think that there's something in this, but I also know I've heard plenty of men say the same thing. But so I think this is a structural problem in how business runs. And I think we're 
trying to get something, but I think it's about value. It's about paying people what they're worth. But one thing you did that you didn't realize, you had the shared printer, right? You realized you saw things because you keep your head down, you keep your ears open, right? Mm -hmm. But you also did research. You asked people. You had a mentor. How many young designers don't have a mentor? Well, we need somebody outside of our company. Or if you're in a really good company, your company should be either yep. uh, mm -hmm. promoting you or they're preparing you for your next job no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, one, one comment that kind of goes full circle within this is I, um, when I mentor a lot of students or like just young designers who start out or even peer-to-peer -peer mentors, uh, mentoring where I realize like, wait, this person doesn't see that it's a structural thing. Like you're talking about Diane is I just teach them kind of like a basic idea of like, what is systems design? You know, you're, everybody's in a system every day you wake up and you're even in a system of architecture, right? Whatever room you're in, it's, that's a system already. So then apply that to the workplace, right? And, and, you know, what kind of hierarchy are you in? What are the functions and the processes that you're a part of? And, and where is it, you know, like, where are there broken pieces to this giant system? How do you fix it? Is it, you know, like, are you willing to fix it? Do you have the capacity? Do you want to, or do you want to enter a new system? All those things. And that's where you talk about unconscious bias. That's where you talk about, um, even like, let's talk about even the, the male experience, because I think um, one thing that we do miss when we talk about, like, even in DEI things is like, there are wonderful friends like Doc, right, where he's like, well, I may, and sorry, Doc, that I'm using you as an example without your permission, but like, Doc is passionate, he's wonderful, but he still sometimes needs to advocate for himself too. And we don't talk about what is it like to be a white male in society who also still has to fight through his way as well, right? And we're still going against all these structural issues that are a problem. And that is why it is beyond just a people issue. It's a structural societal like uh, systems issue. And that is, it just goes full circle. But basically to, to sum it up, because if not, we could talk about this for another whole hour. Um, like when I talk with my mentees about this, I just remind them like, this is a system what are you going to do about it? Where do you fit in it? And how do you want to fix it? Or at least fix it for yourself to make you stronger, but also allow you to evolve and grow. Um, because a lot of times people just think of it as, I have a tiny issue. It's just tiny. And if I just fix this one thing, I think it will fix itself. But it's like, no, your issue will have to be fixed sustainably in a much bigger system. And if the entire system doesn't get fixed along with your tiny issue, the same little issues will keep bubbling up anyway. So it's just like, all these things are so invisible unless you make them visible for yourself. So I guess that's what I'm trying to get back at, which is if you don't notice it, if you're not aware, it's like, how do you, or how do you go to self-advocacy? You have to first be self-aware. And if you are not self-aware first, you can't get to the other half of the equation. And so it starts with acknowledging, where am I? What kind of system am I in? And how do I fix all that? And then, you know, how do you push beyond that? Right, okay, so, so I really like, a ton of what we're talking about and my head's way in front of us but i want to just step a little bit back to the ptsd the workplace ptsd yep. because again it's you get run down so jeremy slagle's here he owns his own business he um opted he had a, a i think he had a scholarship to a school and then he but he had a job so he just kept doing the job and he's amazing he's also a really good negotiator again i didn't ask him if i could talk about this but hopefully it's all positive jeremy we love you but he doesn't, he, one thing I think that he's been able to do is he looks what the industry is. He's getting, okay, well, what are these people charging? What are these people charging? And then he, he's somewhere in there, or he may be in the high end, depending on his um, 
so this is a system. This is an emotional. It's, it's like, okay, a person doing this, 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 and this, and having these responsibilities, they should make this. This is something that is structural that is implemented now for the next person who comes into that role. Exactly. Supply and, this and demand and yes. Yeah. Right. It's that part too. Just like you said, sorry, the last bit and just to reinforce your thing is like, if not me, then who? and who follows. And that's why like for me, wherever I go, I always try to make sure that whoever follows me and takes on the same exact role as me, that I leave their position in a place where there's, they, they will be well loved by everything and everyone around them. Because it's, I think in this world, because it is such a doggy dog world, because there are all of these structures that usually favor, you know, the 1% as opposed to everybody else, right? Like, um, it's important to be human and to treat people as humans, and then to also help respect one another. Um, so yeah, I could say so much more, but then we really would go off track. So I, I will lovingly okay. send the conversation back to you, Diane. But yes, this is the kind of stuff I love to talk about. <laughs> so Pim's going to be one of the speakers at the, I've changed the name. It's just Debbie Clapper helped me. It is now Creatives Ignite Summer Camp this summer. Just so you guys know, she'll be one of the 25. She said yes, not in an email, but <laughs> anyway, here we go. Confirmed. But she'll be talking about some of the same stuff. Um, okay, so what kind of habits, this might be a quicker one, what kind of habits have you implemented to get you more comfortable with asking for more maybe during, so we could think about it like Jeremy asking for more when he's pitching for a client or bidding a client out. Same thing when you have to bid things out for clients, but you also are, are trying to negotiate more salary. What has gotten you more comfortable? Because you told me something specific. Because if you don't remember, I'll remind you. Tell, tell me, give me a hint of what I said so that I make sure. Okay, you said sometimes you will just ask. They will say no, and you will say, when can we talk about this again? Oh, like accountability. Yes, that's actually a really strong one. Okay, this is especially helpful for junior people, but anyone, but I'm just saying a lot of times you don't realize this until you're mid-level or senior level. Um, accountability is the game here. It is not just um, about numbers. So basically, let's say you, it, this may not even be about um, money, but I'll keep it within that. But all I'm saying is if you want something and somebody from above you keeps telling you, no, this is what you do. You say, hey, is it fair to, we'll keep it within money. Hey, I would really love to get let's say $5,000 more in a bonus. It's not even, you know, whatever. I just feel like I've done really well this year. And I understand that you may not be able to you know, show that in my salary, but I know that we've brought in so much extra money that I, I feel like it's fair for me to get a little bit more. Is that fair? And, and fair is an important word here because fair is not subjective and personal. It's, do you think it's fair based off of the context of what we're talking about? You know, um, and then if they say, yeah, that, that sounds about fair, but you can see that they're hesitant to say, I can give it to you tomorrow. Then you say, can we revisit this topic if I do X, Y, and Z? Like, what's it going to take for me to earn this, right? Like if they say, hey, you know, you're doing great, but you know, right now we just can't do it, but maybe next quarter. So that's usually what you hear, right? Like in a hypothetical universe, that's what I think we tend to hear is it's quarterly and maybe next quarter we'll have more. So come back next quarter. And you say, oh, next quarter. Okay. What are like the five things, you know, three to five things I can really do to prove to you that I'm ready for this extra 5k. And then they'll say, oh, you know, maybe this, or, or they may not say any. And that's when you get to control the narrative and you say, what about these top five things, which are of course your strengths already, right? So then you say, okay, you know, point one, two, three, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to go back in my, at my desk and I'm going to write you a little letter to recap everything we just talked about. And then you write and you say, dear so-and-so, thanks so much for touching base with me. A letter or an email? 
email is fine, at least for okay. me. And I, to be fair, I work in a lot of corporate settings. Um, so maybe it's different for others, but for me, it makes sense to be in an email. Very concise. And you always also want to say something, you know, like I found whatever you said, you know, blink, blink of value. It doesn't have to be related to the 5k, but you know, it's just, it shows them. I was listening to you as a real human. I took what you said and it was important to me. Then you say, um, per our conversation, uh, here are the five categories or, you know, whatever that I'm going to work on between now and then. Um, and then you say uh, to get the 5k or whatever so that you have a paper trail. Then within that email, you have like a little, you, you'll say, and here's the cadence in which I'm going to keep contacting you and proving to you that I'm working on this. So you'll say, let's meet, let's say two or three times during this quarter to make sure that like I'm making strong headway. Um, are you okay with that? And the most likely they'll have to say, oh, well, that's, that's great. Sure. Okay. You know, right. And then they, they say, yes, then this is obviously all hypothetical. Then you already put immediately onto their calendar, the, you know, whatever, however many times you want, like two to three meetings until the next quarter. And the whole thing of doing it right away is that it's so fresh on everyone's mind that it's not going to be awkward. And you're also not going to feel discouraged two weeks later when you're suddenly, oh, should I do it? I'm, I'm a little worried. What if they think I'm too forward? You know, you, you're thinking about too much, right? So you do it when it's so hot, like you're striking while the iron is hot, even for yourself. So you get it all done. You know, you're, you are your own secretary in a good way. You're project managing this because you're basically project man managing your success, right? And so then, you know, round one, before they come in and for that meeting, you have all, you know, your ducks in a row of, I've done this much, that much. I can showcase this, you know, like an internal portfolio of what you worked on, proof in the pudding that you're doing great. And you give them an opportunity to just say, yes, you're doing great, or no, you needed to work on this more, right? Like, but you are holding each other accountable because they can see what you've done. You can see whether or not they say yes or no. Then at the end of each meeting that you do, you make sure to send a nice little email that says, thank you so much for meeting. Even if they didn't say anything important during that meeting, you say, thank you so much for meeting. It seems like we are both in agreement that I'm doing a great job so far in reaching all of my three to five goals. I really appreciate your advice. Uh, you know, like it's an open door policy on my side. If there's anything else you can share with me so that I can improve, please let me know. And then when you actually finally go to the final negotiation of, you know, can I get the 5k or not, then they have no choice because you built your case, you've proven that you are exactly what it is that you two agreed to. And that's the most important thing too, is expectations versus assumptions. Now this erases any room for just assumptions on either side of, oh, I didn't realize that that's what you thought was important. Oh, I didn't realize that I didn't do what you wanted me to do. This is, there's clarity, there's a rubric. It's, hey, you didn't do this all on number four, but you did great on number five. Seems to all make sense. You should get the 5K or whatever. And this also gives you, you know, room to just say like, I gave you an opportunity to already like along the entire way to not be subjective. Like I tried my best to be critical about this and, and to be constructive, like, et cetera, et cetera. It just gives you room to lean on things so that it doesn't become this thing of, well, you know, we gave you five extra projects this you know, quarter and you just didn't hit any of them. And it's like, wait, that wasn't about this. This is, you know, like we were, we made an agreement already. So I know that was very nebulous, but I hope that is helpful. And I think a lot of people are probably like, I remember that, you know, like, when I went through a time like that. So I also think it's applicable to people like Jeremy or people like me with clients, right? So some of us like Doc have, or Courtney, they have real jobs and they could use this kind of negotiation as they move forward. But even we do this, especially sometimes with long-term clients, sometimes mm -hmm. we, you know, I incrementally um, will increase prices. Like if I did a website before for $3,000 before I really knew what I was doing and now it's a $15,000 and my client's like, what? 
right? So it could be, you could have some of these conversations. Well, here's what, here's what you're getting or, or let's negotiate this. And I, I think that there could be, even in small incrementals, like, okay, you know, if what we're doing brings you in blank, then you know, maybe it's even where if it's retainer, you get a bonus or there's all kinds of things that maybe we're not doing as business owners that maybe we could do with our clients. Because here's what I think. I, I know I've talked to some of my alumni and I read this book, um, Chris Foss, uh, something it's orange and yellow. I don't remember what the name and the title is. Somebody maybe could look it up. Chris Voss, V-O-S-S. -S. Anyway. Um, but he was an FBI negotiator, and I was like, oh, oh no. yes, I know. You know this book. I forgot the name. Never split the difference, Jacob. Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. Thank you. So, but he really, and I was like, oh, these tactics are terrific. And he talks about when to say a number and what number. And Blair Inns talks about this too, and and which in giving people a range. Even when I'm giving a client three options for a website, it's three options. It's not just one option, so they can easily say no. It is. Option one, basic, right? It's even the language that we use. Option two, it, but those are for new clients, right? But here's the thing, what I love is what Penn's saying is that you can have these conversations with the people that you're in relation with now. So if, and you can say, I think that, you know, I want to see if we could increase your revenue by this. It's, it's some, it's like, I would like to get, not necessarily um, money out of that, but you would, like to get more work from them, which gives you more money, right? But you're negotiating more work because you're able to see their bottom line. But it's somebody like Courtney, they're working at a design firm. What, you, you know, you could say, okay, well, what if you have, um, you're talking about your value and if, here's the thing I love, Pim, you're seeing, you know, your head is down, you're, you're friends with lots of people, you know what is going on and you're also not afraid to ask, what this, what we're bidding out, how much the company's going to get in. Because if you know that you're able to do, if you were able to increase production or create more logos in a month, then you could say, Hey, this is bringing in another $30,000 a month. I would like, if I do this on a monthly basis for whatever, I would like a bonus of $30,000 at the end of the year, you know, like, that's actually yes. pretty reasonable if, if that's just one mm -hmm. of your 12 months. Anyway, probably. I'm, no, I'm in full agreement. And just one thing within that note is like part of why um, I've left in the past, like previous workplaces is even just the, the first example, it's when you realize the value of how much that project that you're working on as a designer, especially if people think you're just doing the production work, like all that money adds up in like, I am not a greedy person, like by nature, like I'm not somebody who's like, I want billions of dollars. Like that isn't what makes me get out of bed in the morning. But I realized at a certain point in my career that like, it's important to negotiate for the right value because you deserve that kind of respect. And it is not fair to you to get less than what you deserve, especially with respect to how much money is being brought in. So at one point I knew that every prototype I was creating was being charged, marked up at like 75K to like a million dollars why should I only be paid, you know, anywhere between 65 to 75 K when I'm each idea of mine alone is bringing in $1 million for where I work. Like those things don't add up. And when you realize that enough times, like 
something in you is going to make you speak up and say, this is a problem. Either I'm going to leave or you need to pay me more. You can say it nicer than that, but like for yourself, you have to look in the mirror and just ask yourself, like, when is enough enough? Because um, I think a lot of times designers get hoodwinked into thinking, but your design is going to be so great. As long as, you know, you're showing this great work, isn't it great for your portfolio? And like, that is never enough. Like you need to get the fair pay, especially when you, if you're working at a much larger corporation or agency where, you know, a lot of different heads get counted into each project or like, you know, the, the business people, the salespeople, they do the money talk and let them, you know, handle it. If Because of that, they get more money than we do. Like, no, if you know that your value is so important that like without you, this project can't go on, you need to say something. That's just my two cents and I'll leave it at that. But I, I will give anyone on this call a pep talk if you ever need it, like when it comes to that, because that is something that I think a lot of designers struggle with. And like, that's something that we all need to like, just keep pushing on and fighting the good fight because it's not fair otherwise. Absolutely. I love it, man. Naomi's saying preach. We, you got lots of people. <laughs> Jeremy said constant communication is key. Sometimes we feel like we are being annoying, but it's actually really important that we keep the conversation. So what would you do if somebody said, Hey, you know what, Pim, we really need you to work on this. Like if you said, Oh, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, and they're like, well, but your T is really, that wasn't a good, yeah. that's no, no, no. like I, your U was funny, you know, or something mm -hmm. W. I don't um, know. I am a big fan of questions and asking lots of questions for clarification. Uh, part of this was just my first workplace. I had this one art director who was very busy at all times. So she never gave me like constructive feedback when I needed it. So I would have to anticipate like, okay, she's giving me this assignment. I need to work on it. I can't come back in five minutes to ask her the why and the whatever. So I would ask all the questions in advance and then anticipate also. And what would she even ask me in a round two? when I bring it back and they come back, you know, like, so then like, it would be like, and what would you want the kerning to look like on this? Like, that's how specific it got because this lady was very into the details. And so like, you just start to anticipate things. So basically for me is everything is why, how come can you explain? I really want to understand. And it's always, Hey, I'm on the same team as you. I want to make this successful, but I can't understand it unless you tell me. And sometimes I just tell people like, I can't read your mind. If I could, I wouldn't be here asking you these questions, but like, please help me understand because if I don't, then I can't successfully do my job and I want to help you. And when I make it like that, then it's less about like an attack, even in a conversation, like what you're talking about, Diane, where I know it's something beyond that, but sometimes you just have to kind of bring people back to grounding because a lot of times whether it's a conversation like this or just other things that are happening people aren't very grounded especially in a very fast-paced business environment where everyone's like we gotta think about this wait what about that and so a lot of times i'm just like wait why are we here for this particular conversation meditation mindfulness moment let's figure it out what's gonna make us you know successful within this and sometimes that's all it takes Okay, so we're gonna have to have some extra last we're gonna have <laughs> to do some of this on another call but so is there anything else that you do during that holding time? I think you've kind of talked about it that we could implement. So again, maybe it's a, a reminder. I do love that in the beginning, you're sending that, you're also saying, you're also collecting data that you've done when you've produced X, Y, and Z that they've wanted. And then um, you also send a calendar invite. Hey, this is when we're doing this review. Like you get it on their calendar. I love that because then it's not... <gasps> Should I ask? Because that's always a thing. It's my six month review. It's five weeks ago, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, right. Okay, so so is there anything else quick that you could give me as a takeaway for the holding time or that waiting period yeah. between? Um, 
this is this is a different pivot from what your question is but what i always tell people especially if you're young and you're starting out is you have to make sure that you have other stakeholders rooting for you at that table it's and so if you make your boss's boss happy everybody will be happy right so first and foremost beyond working on your day-to-day -day stuff it's always making sure that you're tying yourself to big major initiatives inside the company that speak to what the company wants to get out of you know like what are what is our big annual goal this year what do we need to kind of push towards right so if we know that say like that there are three major themes that our company needs to you know set out on a mission to we're not hitting certain things where we need to bring in this kind of revenue or whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be all business talk, but I'm just thinking of that as a top of mind example that people can easily understand, right? Like then you say, okay, what are the kinds of projects that we're working on internally to get us there? Who's charging these, like leading the charge on these and which ones are tied to, you know, the kinds of stakeholders who matter to me, whether their leadership just connects with you or maybe they, you know, you want to reach the CTO because you are on the product side, right? Like whatever it may be. So basically tie yourself to those kinds of projects on top of what you're doing for your review and that way when you come back you say by the way like gift with a bow tie on top I've been working on this major thing like you probably already know about it if you are my boss but you know like and I've made so-and-so very very happy and that's going to be a different kind of level of power in the room of saying I see the big picture whether or not you do because frankly sometimes the boss doesn't see it you see things they don't see right so basically you are ensuring that you have job security ensuring that people have eyes on you and the work that you can produce and usually what I found is that's how you get other projects handed to you from a C-suite level. Because a lot of times wherever I go, I end up working very closely with C-suite people. And that's because I like to learn from them. I think that their minds are fascinating, but also they get some of the media's most interesting projects and challenges to work on. And that's where I want my head to be. So I just find a way to tie myself to all their projects on top of my other work. And then eventually that becomes all the work that I do. So I hope that's helpful, but you know. Oh, I think you're on mute. Maybe? I'm mute because I coughed and Jackson was barking. So I was saying to my mom, C-suite is the CEO, C uh, chief executive officer, mm -hmm. chief marketing officer, blah, blah, blah. Those C people, you know, chiefs. Okay. All right. So I don't know how fast you can say this, but okay. I think we'd like to go more into this. Have you always had a mentor? Almost always in different forms and ways, formal and informal. And I almost the the majority of my mentors are lifelong mentors like my first true like formal slash informal like um internship mentor was in high school um i interned as an audio producer at the radio claire channel and julie pandello she sent me an email just the other day and what a beautiful kind of full circle of that um, was that she was a graphic designer. I didn't know I wanted to be a graphic designer. The other day she said, hey, do you know any designers? I'm working on a project and I'd really love to, you know, get some some good recommendations from you. And like, I never knew that this is, you know, like this would be the way that our relationship would work. But yeah, it's the most powerful thing in, in life, I think, is to learn from others and to be a mentor and also to be a mentee because you will learn so much in both capacities um, and you're going to see yourself through different lenses when you're willing to be that kind of vulnerable and you're willing to learn lessons. Even when you are a mentor, you're going to learn so much from the mentee. It's not like they are the only one who's going to do the learning. Like um, if you do it the right way, you're going to learn just as much, if not more. And you're going to go on so many more adventures because then you're learning what they need to learn too. So I definitely encourage everyone to do all of that. How did you find your mentors? 
Mm, a mix. So I was in, in, in a true formal program. Um, AIGA DC has a great one called Shine Mentor or like the Shine Mentorship Program. It's a four month long um, program that's awesome. You get a project assigned to you or you, you get to make up a project, but you have to do a project and you work with a mentor on it. It's, sometimes it is a mixed bag if you do formal ones because you know that people are matching you. You don't know if it's going to work out. But a lot of times it's just me meeting someone at an event or me working with someone at work and realizing like, hey, we have a lot of great synergy you really match you know like your ethics and values match you know like who I am and then you're super ambitious I want to learn from you and the, the part of this is a lot of times your mentors will not even be the kind of people who work in the same exact field as you and that's going to be okay like if you only keep it to the design field if you're a designer it almost may be too small you need to stretch your mind in different ways and have your mind stretched back you know like by someone else who's going to ask you questions that you're like wait what i never thought of it from that way um for instance my mentor heather she she's worked for like great big name brands and things, but she doesn't care about any of that. She wants to, she, her words, not mine. She wants to be a cat lady who owns a cat farm, like when she retires in Colorado. Like that's, that's her idea of what success looks like. So she makes fun of me, which is, oh, Pim, you're doing another national talk or this and that. What does that even matter? And like, it helps to have people who ground you, who humble you and, you know, just make you think about what is important to me, especially if she's going to be a cat lady in, you know, the mountains in Colorado somewhere. But, you know, like that's the value of having a mentor because they're not always going to tell you things that you know like make you feel good inside right like they're going to help you poke holes at all the things that you don't want anyone else to see and that's a powerful thing and it could be as easy as somebody you have synergy with that you want you just say hey could we connect on a monthly basis right mm -hmm. and and you do a zoom call or a phone call and but what you are is you're saying here's what i'd like to for you to do help me do work through and you have mm -hmm. something specific and then you have to be vulnerable and yeah. open right mm -hmm. and sometimes lots of people actually would be happy to do something like that um d's asking me if i offer a mentor program i'm like what's a mentor um, but no i know i maybe should think about that um because i think that that might be something that y'all would like to do that we could maybe we could connect people i'd be happy to design recharge maybe <laughs> anyway y'all tell me if you want to do that i think that would be cool i just think sometimes it's i know i I try to meet at least one new friend a week, even in COVID, right? I just meet new people online. I follow them, stalk them a little bit, and then I ask them if they'll meet with me, right? That's how I met a ton of y'all. And it, it, sometimes I'm just, I just yeah. pop into a, a Instagram live and I get to know you. You know, you don't really know me, but I get to know you. And then, I, I was just say on that, oops, sorry for interrupting. No, but you go. You see, I did the same thing. Like I, I, in some ways you probably have noticed, like I always say, yes and no, like two questions, because like one part of me is always an introvert and one part of me is always an extrovert. So in DC, when I moved here, I knew nobody, absolutely nobody. I was a self-taught designer. So I had only one design course in college, did not know what I was doing. It was like learning as I was going, right? And so I thought, how am I ever gonna get to know all these cool people? I'm so passionate and I'm like, I'm staying up until like 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning sometimes working on stuff because I'm just excited about it, but I have no one to share this passion with. So then I just started like kind of meeting people naturally through AI IG events and like other meetups, but I had to push myself. But just like Diane said, like I made it a goal. I said, every event I go to, I'm going to talk to at least one or three people. And once it got easier, I'm going to talk to five people. Oh, now I'm going to follow up with one of those cool people. And we're going to have lunch. We're going to have coffee. And it's like, if you give yourself those kinds of goals and you're willing to kind of work towards that, like 
not every time, like not every conversation is going to be like this amazing thing, right? But every now and then you meet somebody and you just know this is going to be special. And then those are usually the people that you collaborate with in formal and informal ways. And at some point you'll probably recommend them for a job. They'll recommend you for a job. It's this beautiful world that opens up. The first thing you have to do is open up, you know, yourself to this. Yeah. You have to ask, right? You just have to ask. You just have to be bold and be like, could you go to lunch with me or could you do a zoom with me or whatever? All right. So I want to cover this last one, um, which is, is there a quote? Of course I wrote it in the thing. People all got it. Is there a quote or something that you can keep, you keep close to you that gets you through tough times? And you said, don't believe the non-believers. Can you tell us about if that's That's not it? No. And it's, Two that combine, which is don't believe the non-believers and bet on yourself even if no one is betting on you. So don't believe the non-believers. What does that mean? It means if you feel like you are this awesome human, you're awesome. You're an awesome human. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise because the whole world is going to be out there telling you their own opinion of this and that. And then they're going to tell the next person and the next person. And none of that has to matter. And in the workplace or in professional capacities, like that can be really tough. For instance, wherever I've been, I've always been a weird hybrid. Like right now, um, like I was hired because I know UX, I love product, but I also love business and new business. And I can talk about all those things. And usually you, you don't always find that mix in people where like they can be super articulate about how to reach an influencer audience, how to build a whole campaign at the same time that they can design that campaign, right? Um, from start to finish. And like, that's what I love. But when I explain that to people, they're like, who are you? Like, I don't believe that's possible. No, you must not be as good as you are. And I'm like, well, I don't know, but I made a life out of, you know, like out of this, right? You know, but it's like people will tear you down. And then on top of it, it's like, I love poetry. I love all these other things. And, you know, people may say, pick one track. Why are you picking everything? Why do you love it all? But it's like, I, the simple answer to that is because I love myself. And that may seem not revolutionary, but it is because I think this world is sometimes built on people's insecurities or people naturally, you know, we, we are so self-critical, so self, you know, full with our own judgment of ourselves that sometimes we don't spend enough time just being like, I'm going to empower myself. I'm going to choose to love myself. I'm going to choose to, you know, follow my passions and my dreams. It seems so easy, but it's so tough to do. So every day you got to wake up and say, I'm not going to believe the non-believers. I'm going to be out here and I'm going to believe in myself, believe in, you know, my goals and how I can help others, how I, I can serve. And if you do that first, that, you know, sets you up with an attitude for success and it sets you up to meet other people who do believe and who can see something beyond themselves and who can work together. And that's powerful. So then within all of this, the, the kind of contrast, the other quote is related, which is, you know, bet on yourself, whether or not people are betting on you. Sometimes in life, it feels like you're sitting on that bench and no one's calling you into the game. Right. And that can be really discouraging, but sometimes, you know, you got to just throw yourself in there anyway, or you have to find a way for me. Sometimes I've said, you know what, maybe that was the wrong game for me. I'm going to create my own game. And then what always happens is, if you're good and everyone who does branding and stuff would understand this, if you brand your game to be even better than the other game, the original game you wanted to play, suddenly everyone in the audience, everyone on those teams are going to want to be on your team. And when you have that kind of power and that kind of spirit, what you can do is instead of just doing it the same old way, going back to structures and systems, you create a new kind of game altogether where everybody can leave feeling like that was great. We all had fun. This was awesome. You know, I feel seen, I feel respected, I feel included. And that's the power really like using power for good in a better way. It's like reshifting the entire system. So I know that was a lot, that was very theoretical, but that's really what it is. is Don't believe the non-believers, bet on yourself, bet on the game you wanna play and don't let anyone else tell you you can only play one kind of game, be one kind of player because 
that that is no bueno and life is so much bigger than that and you have so much more potential than just that one thing see why i call her a firecracker <laughs> like doesn't don't you just want that's like a motivator like oh my gosh like you just want to I mean, that's what, that's what I think. I think you guys are with me. So I know we went a little over and I'm really trying to be good. So I want to make sure that you guys know how to get in touch with Pam. You can get, get to her on, you can get to her. You can get to her by going to LinkedIn. If you go to, and I put it in the chat, but it'd also be, if you're watching on YouTube, it's just, if you P H I M H E R, it's not that hard people. And then Twitter Oh my goodness, she got her whole name. Like, how amazing is that, right? But if twitter.com slash Pim Her. So P-H-I-M-H-E-R for you people listening. Anyway, I am super excited. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so thankful that you're gonna be teaching this a little bit deeper and in another conversation during summer camp. You guys get ready for summer camp. Now the name is, it's not that much different, but thanks to Will. Will and I did this today. Thank you, Will. And there's somebody else here from New Jersey, just so you know. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Krishna, right? Uh, anyway, so I just wanted to, so it is, uh, what is it, Will? Creative, creativesignite.com. It will, it's not there yet, so don't go there because it'll be just be forwarded somewhere else. But anyway, it's going to happen. Oh, and then there's her email. Um, I'm not going to say it out loud, but it'll be in the stuff. So Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And you can always follow me at Design Recharge on wherever. It just sounds like normal or spelled like how it is. Anyway, super excited. Pim, can't thank you. Can't thank you enough, right? No, thank you. I know everyone here knows it already, but I have to say on the record, Diane, you are one of the most fabulous people I know. Like your energy and your ability to serve people in and outside the classroom. Like I would say this, but it's so true. Like you are a teacher wherever you go in a beautiful way. Like I'm always learning from you and I'm so inspired by you. And I'm so grateful that you have a platform like this where so many people can come and constantly learn and be recharged truly and inspired. So thank you for letting me be a part of, you know, a tiny part of your giant universe. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm just thankful to be your friend because you really, really are like firecracker. And we're about, you're a little taller than me, maybe. <laughs> I think we are probably the same height. Y'all, it was very funny to be in Mobile. There were two tiny, fast-talking women at the same time talking at our conference, and it was so much fun. <laughs> well, I, I am so thankful for you, and I'm thankful for our friendship. I just, I appreciate that you have the courage to stand up, and it makes me want to stand up, and it also makes, I hope that you guys will fight for the other people who are coming behind you at these jobs. And sometimes that's the time to leave, right? When you're, when they're either not respecting you, whether it's a client or a, a job that you have to, it's time to go because they're not willing to um, uh, value you for how, what you're actually bringing in. Yes. Yes. So we will see you next week. It is Alex Mira. He works at Zappos. And if you want to talk about an amazing place to work, Zappos. If you want some reading in between this week and next week, read Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. Talk about somebody who's really um, another person who is delivering some, changing the way people do business. And they really focus on customer service. So uh, Pim's about self-advocacy. Um, Alex has, has been at Zappos for 12 years and he didn't start out in the design world, right? I just love these stories. I mean, he is a designer, 
but he didn't start out in Zappos because it was 2008 and Will knows what 2008 was like. Cause that was when he graduated from college, right? It's not the best time to get a job, but Will got a job. And so did uh, Alex. So I can't wait. Alex has been a long time listener. Super thankful to have him on finally. And I hope you guys will join us back next week for Alex. Yeah. Thanks for watching. That was an amazing episode with Pim. I hope that you love her as much as I do. She really is a spitfire and a firecracker and she stands up like a beacon for all of us teaching us what she's done and helping us to be able to do the same and reminding us of our value which I love this episode is also brought to you by audible if you don't know about audible uh, you can get a free book through this link at audibletrial.com slash design recharge uh, audible has changed my life my business because I listen to more books than I physically read nowadays. Finished another one last night called American Entrepreneur by the guy who does Duck Dynasty. I really felt called to read that book and um, it's a lot of history which I love so maybe you guys will like it. So I have the gold membership and pretty much I get a new credit each month. It's for less than $15. I believe it's $14.99. Um, it's definitely less than the price of the book that I'm purchasing. I've been a member since 2010, so 10 years, and I love it. There are plenty of times when they they also offer, like you can get for 33 and some odd cents dollars, you can get three more credits. So that's like a book for $11. I almost always, because sometimes I, I just need more books, more than one book a month. I definitely have a lot of books on my list. There's fiction and nonfiction, there's history, and oh man, I love to hear the authors read. Now the author doesn't always read, but the author reads a lot of times. So if you wanna check it out, with this link you can get a 30-day free trial and receive a credit for a free audiobook download. And again, audibletrial.com slash design recharge. Another thing that I do is I use Skillshare. Uh, when I'm trying to figure out something, quickly or I use it to learn things like collage. There's this woman in Canada that I learned collage from. Oh my goodness, she's my favorite. And that, but there's all kinds of things on Skillshare. So if you wanna uh, check out and get two months of free Skillshare premium, you can go to bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y slash Diane Gibbs, D-I-A-N-E-G-I-B-B-S. And I also use Envato. Um, last week in the episode, if you watch it on YouTube, there's a whole bunch of images. Well, Envato has a subscription plan. And if you're looking for excellent, an excellent resource for royalty-free stock photography, illustration, music, videos, um, After Effects video templates, web templates, um, there's all kinds of things. Um, I mean, so many things. There's over 2 million um, creative resources and they add more all the time and it's unlimited downloads per month and I was like what this can't be right but you do you have the license to use them professionally and you can distribute right so these are these are really amazing things but you have to if like say you wanted the same music you want to use it in one project for one client and another project for another well you have to download it twice but who cares? You have to download it twice so that you have a license of it. Well, I guess you really have to download it twice, but you have to put it in there that you're wanting the, you're gonna use it for two different projects. Same way with photos or anything like that. I just think for me, it was a very, uh, it was a better amount of money 
and I get just this unlimited and I've been able to really take advantage and use this. Another thing I forgot, I've been able to find more diverse models, age, race, gender. So there's been, that's been another thing that I really look for. Um, and and it ha they have good, good photos. So it's been an incredible resource for me and a good, great find. So the yearly subscription is an unheard of deal. Um, there's three different plans. So if you want to check it out, you can go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Envato, E-N-V-A-T-O, capital D, capital R. I would love for you to leave a review. I forgot to say this on the show earlier. I had a goal of reaching 40 reviews on iTunes by the end of June. Man, I do not dream big enough. I'm telling you, I am so, I really have got to get out of this. So now I have a goal of having 100 reviews. I got 40 because you guys, I had a call and you guys totally met me there. And I'm so thankful. There was, there's so many nice things you guys said and I, I, you're just my friends. Like I, I know you. So I really, really appreciate everybody who left a review. But if you're listening and you haven't given them a review, I would absolutely love it if you would and help me meet. I still feel like a hundred is hard to do by June, not, not the end of May. I mean, yeah, but the end of June, I think that would be really cool. I mean, it would be, it helps other people find the show. Um, so it would really help me out. You may not think that it's that much, but just rate and review and share it with your friends. If this was an episode that you think somebody else needs to hear, your boss or a friend who's struggling with fighting for themselves and getting more money or whatever, share it with them. A lot of these links are affiliate links, just so you know, so I get a little piece of the pie. It doesn't make your price anymore. It just means that I'm just a distributor kind of for them. So if you like it, leave a comment, rate, review, subscribe to the channel, hit like, and share it with somebody. All right. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week with Alex Mira. Why can't I read? Do you know what I mean? Like I'm going up fast. Anyway, whatever. Do it all different every time. Here we go. I had a goal of reaching 40 subscribe, I mean, not subscribers, bookers, man. I am all messing this one up.